Welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. We are, what is this, week three of quarantine? Um, coming up, yeah. And then I've been hearing news and stories and all kinds of other stuff that it's going to continue until June? Like, what have you been hearing? Yeah, I'm, um, I think they're expecting June. I think that's kind of a best case scenario for right now. Yikes. Well... In case you folks didn't know, this is the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me, my co-host in quarantine. Yep, in that's spirit. right. <laughs> How is your pup doing with all this Oh, she's stuff? fine. She's chilling on the bed right now. <laughs> she likes having you here all the time and never leaving. Yeah, she does. She's, she's having a blasty blast with that. All she wants to do, though, is sleep. So I'm like, man, you're such a bum. But like, when I get on the bed, she just wants to like be touching me and sleep. And so I'm like, Aww. it's really hard for me also not to go to sleep. <laughs> so Aww. I'm trying to stay awake during the day. <laughs> but today's actually her third Aww. birthday. Happy birthday, Oh, happy birthday! Yeah. Woo, woo. It's not like you can mm-hmm. go celebrate, but you can... I know, right? Maybe get her a special bone or something. Yeah. Well, we are set to leave the vicinity in two days. We're leaving on Thursday. We've yeah pushed the day up one day yeah, so that wow. we can get the hell out of here and get on the road early so that we don't get stuck in, I don't know. I mean, it's not like there's going to be traffic. There shouldn't. But we were just worried, like, what if we run into something? What if we get, like, complications? What if there's no place to eat or stay? Or, like, we just want to make sure that yeah. we have a little extra time just in case. Yeah. Do you um, have your route and everything off the Yeah, out? yeah. We're going to drive up through um, Colorado, well, to Vegas and then over through Colorado and up Nebraska and over to Illinois. Gotcha. I drove through Colorado when I w- moved. It's beautiful. Hopefully everything we won't run into west of Denver. Yeah, no, it's it's beautiful up there as well. I've, yeah. I've driven through there on other occasions. Um, today I've got a, a very romantic, wonderful love tale to share with you. All right. No, it's not that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be. <laughs> I was on like, this oh, sh- how different for us. <laughs> it wouldn't be on this show if that. Yeah, it's like, case, oh, we're but... really taking a turn. <laughs> this is the case of the Luthold family. Okay. And the reason why I said it's a romantic and lovely story is because it happened on Valentine's Day. Oh, uh-oh. Yeah. So, February 14th, 2013 in Peoria, Illinois, which is where I'm going to be going, oh. on 700 West Mossville Road, Denise Luthold, mother of three young children and wife to missionary Nathan Luthold, is found dead of a gun of a single gunshot wound to the head in the couple's home. Oh. So it's Valentine's Day, supposedly one of the most romantic days of the year. So mm-hmm. how exactly did this happen? This story that I'm going to share with you is the twisted tale of Denise and Nathan Luthold. They were married for 17 years. Wow. High school sweethearts. Deeply, madly, passionately in love. Nathan and Denise met 30 years earlier. Both of them were students at a small Baptist school in Illinois. Okay. Even though they were very young, they were only in the third and fourth grade when they first met. Oh my gosh. 
there was something really special about Denise and the relationship between Nathan and Denise was just really neat. It wasn't like tawdry or anything, but it's just they were kids growing up together. They built this special bond between them. They were both from religious families and dating wasn't allowed. So they were just friends until they graduated. Which okay. I don't think is unusual for yeah. you know Mormons and other different faiths. I, I believe these guys were Baptists, but um, I don't think that's unusual in many religions. I Mm-mm. had many people in high school that I grew up with that weren't really allowed to date or didn't date until they graduated from high school. Yeah. So nowadays, it's it's insane. Like you would never the the difference between kids today and kids back then is I think it night probably day, right? does still happen, just not as often. You don't hear about it as much. Yeah. Nathan and Denise became girlfriend and boyfriend after they graduated from high school, as I mentioned earlier. And this was Nathan's first and only girlfriend, as well as Denise. Mm -hmm. Um, Nathan played basketball. Denise was a cheerleader. And it was this very puppy love type relationship between the two of them. They were athletic. They were outgoing. They were both smart and bright and friendly and charismatic Nathan instantly developed this super close relationship to Denise's family and he was over at their house all the time. So much so that their parents were just like, okay, this is, yeah, he's like one of our kids. Right. Especially when you've known each other that long. Right. Well, the thing is, I believe Denise was a year older than him. Okay. When Denise went away to college in Minnesota, Nathan followed her because he was a year younger But this showed everyone that he was completely devoted to Denise. So he waited for her when she left and then followed her as soon as he was able to. Mm -hmm. They got engaged one year after that, July 1995. And I remember this time very well. This is like the time when I started college as well. So like I remember that period of time. It was before 9-11. Like everything was so innocent and so it was a different feel back then. Am I right on that? No, yeah, it for sure was. Like before yeah. we had been corrupted and uh-huh. had our hopes and dreams dashed by yeah. 9-11 and everything else that came after that. But um, the families of Denise and Nathan were so happy for them. And the two ended up settling back in Peoria, Illinois, where Denise worked with an insurance company. She enjoyed her job. And then Nathan ended up working in sales until about 1998 when he started some missionary work. Now, typically when you think of people doing missionary work, I typically think of like South America or Africa Mm -hmm. primarily, right? Just because those seem to be the areas that people feel like they need to help the most. Mm -hmm. But this young couple chose Lithuania. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They didn't really know the language, the culture, anything. They just Mm kind of went with it and were like, we're going to learn when we get there. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense in the mid-90s because, or late 90s, because it was a former Soviet republic. So, which Soviet Union fell in 1991. So, it's kind of a new country. Right. Yeah. And they, you know, it's a little, some people were struggling there. Enough for them to have a very comfortable missionary goal and journey ahead of them. Right. It wasn't like it was where they had to build houses and things like that, but they were establishing churches and helping people to have strong relationships and communities and and grow up and come to the U.S. if Mm -hmm. they wanted to and things of that nature. 
They moved in with another couple in Lithuania and then kind of jumped right into the missionary lifestyle. Neither one of them had really been involved in it previously. It wasn't a sort of situation like a lot of Mormons have to go on a missionary trip mm-hmm. by, by a certain age as a young person and things like that. It wasn't that sort of thing. This was their first experience together and they were a young married couple. Right. So, you know, that's got to be quite challenging for them. Experiencing the first, you know, couple years yeah. of your marriage as a, doing yeah. missionary work has got to be on the top of the list of things that can be a stressor. Absolutely. Well, one year later, the couple returns home and they have a son, Seth, and a daughter, Julia. This was by about 2002, so they have two kids by then. Okay. So they waited a little bit, obviously, because they got married in, I believe, 1995. So they waited, yeah. did some more missionary work. They went back to Lithuania again. This was their second home, so they kind of went back and forth from the U.S. to Lithuania for the next eight years. During this time period, they learned the language and embraced the culture and really just put themselves into it wholeheartedly. But sort of in the background, Denise was finding the whole thing very challenging. Mm -hmm. She supported Nathan and she knew that this was his mission and his goal in life and that he felt very strongly towards that. But she was kind of struggling with not being around her family and friends and not having that strong support system. And I am sh- I can completely identify with her because when you have young children, you want to be near your family so that yeah. you can have help. And especially your mom, if your mom and you are close and things like that, you want to have that support system around you so that you can just feel comfortable and secure. And she didn't necessarily have that in Lithuania. Right. Not only that, but... As they were working in Lithuania, they grew close to some children and their families because they were helping women in abusive relationships sort of survive there. Because I guess that was a real problematic issue in that particular part of the world. The Soviet Union had a lot of issues with alcoholism and kind of with issues with alcoholism. You often see um, domestic abuse. Right. So... That kind of makes sense. So that was a really one of the larger goals that they were working toward with their missionary work was helping women in domestic abusive type relationships. Mm -hmm. They brought many women and kids back to the U.S. to help them make better lives for themselves if they wanted to come. Um, They were very into cultural events, music and sports. And during this time period... They brought a young girl back to the U.S. with her family. Well, actually her mother... Her name was Aina Dobaleye. Okay, so keep that in the back of your head there for a moment. Okay. This young girl was brought over initially as a college student, and she lived with Denise and Nathan for a period of time, and she babysat for them, both in the U.S. and in Lithuania. Okay. This young woman was extremely musically gifted And the couple kind of embraced her and helped her to pursue a college degree in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to fall 2010, Denise and Nathan come back to the United States where they have their third child, Janelle. Denise's life back in the U.S. is all about school and daycare and sports. And the couple, in the meantime, is raising money to go back to Lithuania for another church mission. Wow, okay. So for them, their whole life is about 
coming back to the U.S. periodically, but during the, their life here and their work here, they're raising money for whatever next mission they're headed on. Right. So they want to get money and supplies and different things that they can bring back to Lithuania so they can help the community and then help bring more people back to the U.S. if they want to come. Mm -hmm. Valentine's Day 2013, Nathan Luthold pulls into the driveway of the home he shares with Denise. Now, keep in mind, this is not their home. It's her parents' home that they're staying in so they can save the maximum amount of money possible for their missionary endeavors. Okay. So when when he pulls into the driveway, Nathan notices that something is wrong. There is a window pane near the door that is broken and there is glass on the ground. Uh-oh. Nathan immediately suspects that there has been a break-in mm -hmm. and calls 911. Doesn't investigate, doesn't go in the house, just sees the glass there and is like, no, I'm calling 911. Okay. Would you, would you do that? Would you investigate I, a little further or would you see the glass and immediately call 911? Am I expecting anybody to be home at the time? Um, yes. You would, he's expecting that his wife was home. Yeah, if I'm expecting somebody to be home, I'd go inside. But if I'm not expecting anybody to be home, okay. I think I'd call just, I think I would just call the police. In case they're still in the house. Yeah. Okay. Well, Nathan, like I said, called 911. It was the middle of the day and someone was obviously brazen enough to do this in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, though, no one can find Denise. Her car's gone. She doesn't, he, when he calls out to her, she's not appearing to be in the house. The two aren't really having communication. Nathan says she hasn't answered her phone or text messages um, in quite a while. Uh -oh. So he's concerned. Right. And just in the meantime, so you have a point of reference. Seth, their oldest son is 12. Julia is 10. Janelle, their youngest is four. And they're all, all of this family of five is living with her parents. Okay. And this is the house that he came back to and noticed that there was a break-in. Okay, are her parents home? He expected home? that she would be there. There, no one is home. Okay, nobody's home. Okay. No one is home at this time. They're not expected to be home. They're working or gotcha. doing whatever they need to be doing. The only one that was supposed to be home was Denise, but her car was gone and he couldn't hmm. find her. Okay. So the police are kind of like, as they're talking to him, sort of trying to get a feel for what had happened that day. And... He said that Denise had gathered Valentine's Day bags. It was kind of a special tradition that they had for the kids and prepped them and put goodies and things in the bags. And Nathan got Denise some roses and a card and had those waiting on the table. The day had started out fine until Denise had failed to pick Janelle up, their youngest daughter, mm -hmm. from daycare. And... She hadn't called anyone, and she hadn't told anyone where she was going. She just never showed up. So Nathan goes and picks up their daughter, Janelle, and he doesn't think to call the police. He just says, oh, she must be busy doing something, and I can't get a hold of her, so I'm just going to go pick up our daughter and come back to the house and see what's up. Right. That's when he gets back to the house and sees that there's been some sort of a break-in and calls the police. Okay. He said that when he got to the house to check on Denise, because he suspected that she was there, maybe she was taking a nap, maybe she didn't feel well, any number of different things could actually be the case here. He sees that the garage door was partially open and that that window was broken and there was glass on the floor. So 
he has his youngest daughter in the car and he says that that's the reason why he backed out of the driveway and into the neighbor's driveway to call 911 instead of going in and kind of checking out if anything was wrong in the house. Okay. And in the meantime, he's calling family as well to see if anyone has seen Denise. No one has seen her though. Police get to the house and search and start looking room by room and immediately find the body of 39 year old Denise inside. And as mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, she was dead of a gunshot wound to the head. Mm-hmm. It's like an execution style killing. Very close to that sort of a thing. Right. Yikes. Evidently, she was shot very shortly after she had arrived home. Her coat was still on. Police believe that she was killed almost immediately after she stepped in the house and that the weapon was a forty caliber handgun. Okay. There was no gun on the scene. So they weren't able to find that weapon in the house. Okay. They suspect at that point, as I'm sure most people would would think, coming upon a scene like that, that she has possibly interrupted a burglary. Yeah. That is their first thought. Not only that, but there appears to be a bunch of stuff out of place in the house as well. Nathan, in the meantime, is stunned and devastated. The family is shocked and super freaked out. And everyone in the neighborhood is just like, oh my God, there's a murderer on the loose. Right? Not only that, but Nathan remembers seeing a suspicious car in the neighborhood, perhaps cruising or casing the neighborhood a few days prior. Uh Uh-oh. And he seems to think that that has something to do with this, that these people had been in the neighborhood before checking things out, trying to see who would be the most vulnerable or who would might potentially have something that they want to steal. And then they were going to come back when no one was home Mm -hmm. sort of a situation. Yeah. In the meantime, as you do, because police always suspect that the husband or the significant other is the first main suspect on whatever list. So they immediately take Nathan down to the police station for questioning. Denise has no enemies, though, and the family really has nothing of real value. I mean, they're missionaries, Mm -hmm. for Pete's sake. They're they're not going to have a bunch of expensive clothing or jewelry or anything. Yeah. Evidently, there was a laptop, a digital camera, and two guns that were stolen, including one that was, you want to guess? A forty caliber? Exactly. Just Uh like the one used to kill Denise. Now, the neighborhood, like I mentioned earlier, was totally freaked out. Everyone's spooked. This is normally a very, very quiet place. And it looked as well like Nathan was the only one who had seen this, quote unquote, suspicious car in the neighborhood casing things, right? Hmm. Tips start flooding in Almost immediately, as soon as the police put out information about this, one of the neighbors also sees a strange man on her street with a black hoodie pulled up over his head around the time of the murder. That same neighbor said the look on his face was extremely agitated. So something was up with that guy. And people don't normally walk around in that particular neighborhood with a hoodie pulled up over their face kind of a Uh situation either. The person, the neighbor didn't recognize this person? No. no. Okay. Well, she didn't know him. Okay. Okay. She, she didn't know who he was. She had no, like, personal knowledge of this person. He was not an acquaintance of hers. Gotcha. Okay. The police start to suspect that this was more than just a simple burglary. And in the meantime, Nathan moves the kids to a safe house, just in case. 
So he takes off. We're going to go to a safe house in case this was some sort of a safe botched house. killing and they're going to come back and get him and his kids. He like, has he a safe house? Purpose. Or he just I went to know. a different... You you got to realize he was part of that domestic violence network to oh, help with that. So yeah, 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 yeah. he okay. probably had connections yep. to tell people where to go to get away from potential abusers. But I think there was some fear that perhaps they killed Denise and we're going to come back at a later time and finish the mm. rest of the family off or something like that. That was kind of his theory. Okay. And that's what he told police as to why he took off and went to the safe house. Okay. Now, police start looking into even the smallest of details about this particular day. And the schedule, here's what Nathan says the schedule was. Now, we have to go on his word about this because, obviously, Denise, the only other person, is no longer alive. Yeah. But Nathan says that the couple woke about 6.45 in the morning, that he showered and got ready while Denise got the older kids up. Nathan then drove the two older kids to school and then went to run errands. Now, you got to realize these two don't have, at this point, a normal nine-to-five job situation Mm -hmm. because they're missionaries. So they would be home during the day. Mm -hmm. Nathan then goes to a day spa to buy a gift card for Denise for a massage. And that gift card was approximately $74. Denise spends the morning with Janelle and then drives her to daycare in the afternoon. Denise has her own errands to run at that point, and she goes to the mall and a couple of other places to pick things up. Mid-afternoon is when Nathan tries unsuccessfully to reach Denise, and he thinks she's just busy okay. running errands. So he arrives back home, and Denise's car is gone, and it looks like the house has been broken into at that point. And okay. that's in the afternoon. Okay. Now, police ask him... Immediately, as uh, you want to guess what they usually ask, first of all, when they bring the hubby down to the station. Uh, are you having any fights lately or money troubles? Yeah. Or... Yeah. How's your relationship? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever cheated? Right. Any affairs? Yeah. Is there a boyfriend? Exactly. And that's immediately what they start getting into with Nathan. And he's like cool as a cucumber. You know, he describes his perfect marriage. Denise was an absolutely wonderful mom. They've been together forever. He's She's always been the girl that he loved, and he's just devastated that she's gone. And now he's doing his best to take care of the kids and himself without Denise. Nothing but good things are said about the family and about their marriage and about this couple. No one has anything bad yeah. to say, and they just everyone is perplexed. Okay. How could this happen to somebody who everybody loves? Well... I have a feeling things weren't as they seem. (laughs) Well, it wouldn't be on this show if they were, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Nathan leaves the police station late that night, and this is just hours after his wife is killed. So you would think there would be a certain way that people would act, but Nathan immediately goes to his sister's house and communicates with his mother and his sister and seems pretty chill. I mean... When asked, you know, how he feels, he's like, oh, you know, I'm doing my best to stay strong for the kids and et cetera, et cetera. But Mm -hmm. the next day, everyone is super shell-shocked and Nathan tells the kids that their mom is in heaven and that they need to take this time to comfort each other as a family. Okay. So they cried and they prayed, according to what he said. Um, The whole thing was super dramatic when he was talking about, like, what happened and what they did the day after. And... (laughs) he describes Denise as the most wonderful mom and mother to ever walk the earth. 
Okay. He's laying it on a Starting little Starting to thick protest now. a little too much. <laughs> sort of laying it on a little thick. Um, Nathan takes the kids to a nearby town, as I mentioned, to a safe house. He's worried somebody's after them and maybe targeted them. And this is the church mission house that he's at. So he feels safe okay. there. In the days following the murder, he is super quiet and staring out into space a lot. And people are starting to think that maybe he's in shock mm-hmm. finally after this whole murder thing had gone down. Although he didn't see the body or anything. He's just in shock that he lost his wife and that sure. she's gone. But Denise's parents return home. Obviously, the police had to take the house over for collection of evidence and all that kind of stuff. So they were unable to stay at the house for a while. Mm-hmm. And they were finally, a few days later, allowed to return to their home. Nathan, in the meantime, is extremely emotional, to, according to everyone around him, and says that he's lost the love of his life and that the kids are afraid. So he's just trying to, like, hold everything together. So he wasn't concerned about her parents going back to the house? No. Hmm. He thinks it was targeted for them, not the parents. As you may guess... Things are not always as they seem. Mm-hmm. Statement of the year. <laughs> First, Denise was home, dead on the floor of the house, but her car was found in a nearby park called Robinson Park. All right. Then the police start to think that a robbery doesn't really make sense. Because smaller items like electronics and Blu-ray player and a couple of other things that looked like, you know, normal robbery type items were not taken. And they had some jewelry, but only the three items that had any value were the ones taken. They left everything else. So they knew what to look for. Yeah. All right. Not only that, but the house doesn't really seem like it's been through a real robbery. Like, the junk drawers in the kitchen are pulled out. And the police are like, burglars don't usually go into the kitchen and waste time in junk drawers. Like, what kind of valuable things is there going to be in your junk drawer? Like, pencils, paper clips, old receipts, (laughs) rubber bands. Like, Like, no one is going to want to steal the fucking junk drawer. Like, that's the reason that that drawer exists. (laughs) So, they're like, this is kind of bogus. And... Nathan also says that he has three guns, including one that, like the one that was used to kill Denise, but he can't explain uh-huh. and tries to say that the burglar took it and it was kept in a plastic case, but the case was gone too. So like, if you're a burglar and you go into a house and you find a gun and kill somebody with it, are you going to take the case with you too? Probably You're not. You're probably just trying to get out of there as fast as you can after you shoot right? somebody. So they're kind yeah. of asking him to explain what might have happened or possible scenarios that he can think of, and he just has no clue. He's like, oh, they, it was in a plastic case, but they must have taken that too. Yeah. Now, I mean, I honestly don't think that someone who's, you know, by themselves or if it's just two people is going to want to take more things than they can carry. Like, you're going to take the gun out of the case and right. leave the case and just take the gun, Right. Right. Police don't think that thieves would have broken the plastic lockbox and then used the gun and then taken the box with them. It just doesn't make any yeah. sense. Especially if they had to break it to get into the gun. Exactly. Yeah. Nathan also claims that he last fired the gun in Oklahoma, which was a couple weeks prior to that. Not anytime recently. Okay. So they asked him, have you fired your guns anytime recently? He's like, no way. Absolutely not. The last time I did was in Oklahoma a All couple right. weeks prior. Denise's car is in a nearby park, 
not home where she was shot, and the keys to her car are found tangled in her hair underneath her head. Oh, wait. So how did the car get from there to the park when she has the keys? Yeah. And the police are like, hey, dude, can you let us know, like, is there a second set of keys? Like, where would somebody have found those? Where do you guys normally keep those? And he claims he has no idea where they have gotten, where they got another key. Maybe the junk drawer. No clue. And they're like, well, what do you do when you go get your, your wife's car service? And he's like, well, I just take her key. So this is the only so key. So they're like, no. Yeah. Hmm. And they're like, no, there's got to be a second set of keys somewhere. There's no way that somebody would have jump-started her car or whatever. The, the, you've got to explain to us where this other set of keys potentially was. And he's no, no clue. Then they ask him if he was at the park where Denise's car was found at any point during that day or any time close to that day. And what do you think he says? I feel like he should say yes and come up with a reason that he was would have been there, but I think he's going to say no. <laughs> well, I mean, nine times out of ten, they're like, oh, no, I was yeah. never in that park. But this time he says yes. Oh, he did say yes. Okay. I was in the park. In the morning, before I went back to the house, I pulled over to make a call. At that park. I didn't want to drive while I was talking on the phone, so I pulled over at this specific park where her car just happened to have been found Hmm. and made a call. Looks super shady, right? Yeah. But who was he talking to? And he conveniently claims... (laughs) He conveniently claims he doesn't remember. Don't know. I have have a guess, but I'll wait. (laughs) Who? Who do you think it is? I think it's the um, the girl that was babysitting for them, the Lithuanian girl. The foreign exchange student. Yeah. Ina. Ina Dobolate. Yeah. She's the, tw- the 20-year-old exchange student that the family has yeah. been helping. She's going to ping right back into this little case here. She's been extremely close to the family. They sponsored her. She babysat for them. He called her mm-hmm. on the day of the murder. What was the call about, they asked. And he seems to say, oh, I don't remember. Uh Probably just me mentoring her and doing my usual mentoring type things with her. Yeah, Yeah, you know how I mentor her. (laughs) Yeah. So, evidently, he says they had first met this girl in 1998 on their first missionary trip when she was just a little girl at the time. And he uh... was at their church and she volunteered a lot at the church. She led Mm -hmm. music for kids and at age 16 became a babysitter for Nathan and Denise. He's like, no way could anything untoward have happened with her. She's part of our family. She was sponsored to come to the U.S. in fall 2010. She was at a Christian college in Florida. But Nathan did visit her. In Florida? times. In Florida. Was that more mentoring? Um, yeah. The Mm. family asked Denise at the time what she thought of Nathan traveling around with this young girl by himself a portion of the time. Denise claimed she wasn't jealous. Mm -hmm. They were helping her and she trusted Nathan. Oh, no. Plus, they had known this girl since for years since she was just a child herself. That would just be gross, wouldn't it? Yeah, it sure would. Sure would. Yeah. So, December 2011, Ina dropped out of that Florida school. So, keep in mind, this whole thing happened in 2013. Mm-hmm. But 
two years prior, she drops out mysteriously out of this Florida school that she's got this music scholarship mm-hmm. and moves in with Denise and Nathan to attend community college in Peoria. Mm-hmm. Now, Nathan claims they had done this many times before and that this was totally natural. They'd sponsored other Lithuanian students prior to Denise's death and that that was completely normal for them. And then suddenly Ina transferred to another Christian school in Chicago, which is about 160 miles away from Peoria. Okay. So that's kind of her path over the last couple of years prior to Denise's murder. And is she in this Chicago college? She's in that Chicago college. In 2013? In 2013. Okay. Police drive to interview her because they're like, okay, we get that she's not here in the area, but we want to talk to her because... This just seems a little weird. Right. She's totally fine at first, but then when they start questioning her about Nathan, she says she doesn't speak English. Uh, and refuses to answer <laughs> questions. How has she been in the States for so long and in, in uh, school? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it's just that one through. the whole thing. <laughs> circles around in all kinds of logical answers. Okay. So they show her this crime scene and the autopsy, and this girl has absolutely no emotion. And they're like, this is the woman that supposedly is like a mother to you, who brought you here, who supported you, and who helped you on numerous occasions, and you are not even crying one tear for this woman? What's up with that? And she says, I cried enough over the weekend. So now she speaks English? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So then they confront her with some other little tidbits. Yeah. Nathan said he bought a Valentine's Day gift for Denise of a massage. Remember that $74 massage I told you about earlier that he went to the gift salon that day for? Yeah, it wasn't for Denise. Oh, I did not see that coming. (laughs) (laughs) Police make a little stop by that salon and find out Nathan has not been bringing his wife there. He's been taking Ina there. Mm-hmm. This 20-year-old exchange student for massages and waxings. Frequently. Mm-hmm. So everyone at the spa thinks that that is, that Ina and Nathan are a couple. Yeah. Because Nathan pays for everything and waits for her while she gets the treatments. So he's not in the room with her, but he waits for her while she gets all of her treatments. Yeah. And they ask her, why would he do that? And she's like, I don't have to answer that. There was no sexual relationship. He was nothing other than a mentor to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Then I would never let a mentor pay for me waxes. Yeah, it's just weird. And the police are like, we think it's weird. And she's like, no, it's totally normal. And Nathan's like, no, it's totally normal. It is not totally normal. So... He claims that it's because she doesn't speak English very well and she doesn't drive because she's a foreign exchange student. So he's driving her and just helping her to acclimate into the society. But she's been there for years. Like it just, none of it makes sense. Then they ask her why she dropped out of the school in Florida. And she claims it was because of reasons that have to do with her hands. So she's a music major and she said she was having problems with her hands and the police subpoena the records from the school. Uh Uh-huh. And find out that she didn't drop out. She was kicked out for inappropriate relationship with a sponsor, including staying off campus overnight with Nathan alone. Huh. So it's a Christian school. And they find out about this and they kick her out. Because they're like, this is inappropriate. We are not down for this. This Yeah, it's frowned upon. 
they pull Nathan and Ina's phone records and the sheer volume of calls and texts between these two looks like dating. Yeah. There are literally thousands of calls and texts asking her if she's wet, quote unquote, um. after she's gone to the gym and just weird, creepy, gross things like that, which you would... I would hope a boyfriend wouldn't even say that to me. Yeah. That to me is like somebody who just wants to sleep with you. Yeah. Says stuff like no, that. No, thank you. You can keep all that. Very gross and super inappropriate. Uh-huh. And they look at Nathan's whereabouts on the day of the murder and they could see that he can account for his time until about 1130 a.m. Mm-hmm. on the day of the murder when he left Starbucks for a while. He just goes off camera, takes off from the store and then shows back up at 1245 p.m. So that's about an hour and 15 minutes, which is this gap of unaccounted for time when he's gone from the Starbucks and then okay. comes back. Did he to change Starbucks. into a black hoodie at that time? So then they're like, hmm, <laughs> <laughs> right? They walk the trail that he would have taken and they do, they do like a little time trial with a car as well to see if the time frames line up and if he would have had enough time to leave the Starbucks in that period of time, go to the house stage the crime scene and then get back to the Starbucks. And they find that it was totally possible and that this was much more probable than a random intruder. The police also find the second car key in a trash can. That must be where they keep it in the trash can at the park. That's right. When they said, yeah. Hey, where do you keep your car? Your second set of car? Key? We keep it in the trash can. It's Did you not? Down the street. Oh, you didn't check the trash can at the park. That's where we normally keep right? it. Yeah. I didn't realize you guys didn't check there first. Okay. Guess what else they find? Do they find the gun? It's not the gun. Oh. They find a black hooded sweatshirt. Oh. On the floor of Denise and Nathan's bedroom, which matches the witness's description perfectly. Wow. Color me shocked. Um, right. So is this guy really that stupid that he would like go perpetuate this crime and then just toss the sweatshirt on the floor of his room? It sounds like it. Then they analyze Nathan's laptop. Bum, bum, bum. The browser was set to delete, uh-huh. but they still found his search history, which, yeah. you know, nothing is ever gone for good. There's always right. ways to Just because you out. set it to delete doesn't mean that, like, somebody who really knows computers can always find your stuff. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you can guess what some of the searches were in his search browser. How to silence a 40 caliber handgun, specifically a Glock. How to overdose on insulin. Bathtub electrocution. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Lethal <laughs> that injection. Out of nowhere. Hitting someone over the head to knock them out. This is all months prior to the murder. He's done all these searches. And when they say, well, okay, so why do you have all this on your search history? And he says, oh, oh, well, we help with people doing suicide watches and people to call in phone lines that are suicide prone and this is all through our church outreach program, and we're, it's called Hope for Tomorrow, and we're trying to combat suicide. So I was researching the most common suicide methods. See. That's why those are on my browser. So you could tell people how to do it? <laughs> um, I don't think bathtub, bathtub electrocution is one of the most common forms of suicide. Like, Can't imagine it would be. Or overdosing on insulin. Those anyway, seem pretty low on the list. Things are starting... <laughs> Things are starting to look real bad for Mr. Uh-huh. Nathan right about now. And then three weeks after Denise's murder, police come in and arrest him. Yeah. They're like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> too much of this stuff is a little bit too wacky for us. We're, we're not doing this. Yeah. You're, we're going to go ahead and take you to jail. In. Yeah. Going to jail, buddy. 
Nathan acts like he has absolutely no idea this was coming. He is surprised and in complete shock and disbelief. He just, he's a phenomenal actor, uh-huh. in other words. <laughs> Friends and family are stunned, and they say police just needed someone to blame. That's what's going on here. He didn't do anything. Hmm. But now, when the police are like, oh no, <laughs> there's all this other stuff that you guys didn't know about. Now they see that he's been living a double life. Mm-hmm. He pleads not guilty, though, and claims he would never harm his beloved wife, who is his rock and his support. Mm. Picture dramatically looking at the camera and a single tear, tear running yeah. down the side of his face as he's like, my wife. On Valentine's Day, no less. Strength, my support. Yeah. Right? So Nathan's trial begins July 14th, 2014. The police and the prosecution's theory is that Nathan drove his own car to the park at around 1215, that Robinson Park. It's a few blocks Mm -hmm. from the home. He walked back to the house, staged the burglary then, or he could have also staged it earlier than that or after. They don't really know. It probably, from what it looks like, it didn't take more than a minute or two for him to stage that. He just pulled out a couple drawers and kind of tossed things around a little bit. Yeah. He waited in the doorway for Denise to get home, and as soon as she walks in the door, he shot her in the back of the head, execution style. Then he drove her car to Robinson Park and left it there, goes back to his own car, and then drives back to the Starbucks by that 12.45 arrival time. So that gives him about a half an hour to perpetuate this crime in the house, Mm -hmm. which, according to police, it's plenty of time to wash the gunshot residue off his hands run errands, pick Janelle up and from daycare and all that good stuff and return mm-hmm. back to the house by 3 p.m. And then that's when he supposedly returned home to the open garage door and glass on the ground and called the police. Hmm. But police are like, yeah, no. We don't believe any of your BS story. This isn't a typical burglary scene. Things were neat and orderly and burglars don't usually hit the kitchen. Yeah. Also, when they questioned Nathan, his demeanor was just straight up cool as a cucumber no emotion no questions no emotion during the police interviews and he tried to basically take over the entire conversation almost the entire time without shedding a single tear Hmm. the bullet casings they found were from the glock 40 they never found the murder weapon the neighbor though remember that neighbor that testified about the man in the black hooded sweatshirt that she didn't recognize yeah she picks nathan out of the line yeah she did yeah, she sees him and recognizes him immediately. Um, and the sweatshirt that was on the bedroom floor that they found uh-huh. had gunshot residue on the right sleeve. Okay. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. This pretty much seems at this point like an open and shut case. Yeah. So he says, oh, it's there because that's the same shirt I used two weeks before when I was shooting in Oklahoma. But, like, would gunshot residue stick around that long? I think it can if you don't wash those. Yeah, I doubt that it would have been sitting there for that long unwashed, especially if Denise was there. Like wives typically and the kind of wife that she was, it sounds like she was super neat and orderly and tidy. And she probably would have been doing laundry a lot and not letting things lay around on the floor. Um, One of the neighbors also said they heard gunshots between 1230 and 1245. This also lines up with the suspected timeline. And then, dun-dun-dun, there's a jailhouse snitch. Uh Isn't there always in these stories? Yep. 
Um, he's a fellow inmate that was with Nathan at the county jail. His name is David O. Smith, and they get him to testify. He says that Nathan told him he had researched ways to kill Denise in on his laptop, first with poisoning and then with insulin, etc. He said that Nathan told him that he ran a lot of errands to create an alibi and that he presented gifts to his wife to create an appearance that everything was great with his marriage. Also, this guy, this jailhouse snitch, claims that Nathan told him he was super worried about the neighbor who saw him when he was walking in the neighborhood because he wasn't expecting that. But on the other hand, though, I'm like, how could this guy be so stupid as to, like, spill his beans to, like, isn't that, like, doesn't everybody know? You would think, but yeah, we still hear about it all the time. It's just like, I can't believe how stupid people are. Evidently, he laid it all out and told this guy everything, including the fact that... I guess that when you're in jail, you just want to talk to somebody. That's just... Well, he happens. like spilled everything. Spilled his guts to this guy, including the fact that Denise was supposedly overbearing and he wanted to move on because he had met someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said that he wanted Denise... All right. He said he wanted to be... He said he wanted Denise to be gone so he could be with Ina. He specifically said this girl's name, and it's unique enough to where he couldn't really mean anybody else. Right. This this jailhouse guy's not, like, making up a name and landing on that one. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's pretty specific. And the prosecutors believe that Nathan planned this out as kind of a Valentine's Day present for Ina. His, oh, my God. His true love. And that Ina was the major motivating factor in this murder happening. Who wants that as a Valentine's Day gift? That's gross. I murdered somebody gross. for you. I, I mean, not only that, but you see this guy, and he's not that attractive, and he's older, and she's 20. Like, yeah. she could do a lot better. I would be grossed out by that whole thing. Like, this 40-year-old parent, parental dad bod, mm-hmm. gross, balding, icky dude. No thanks. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> Ina takes the stand, and half the time she's fine, and the other half, again, she pretends like she doesn't speak any English, <laughs> which is really <laughs> hilarious. Like, you're just like, really... Really? We all know you speak English. Right. You wouldn't be going to college in the United States if you didn't speak English. Yeah, you have Come to have on. some kind of grasp on language. And not only that, but the prosecution granted her immunity. Oh. Is she just protecting and him she or something? she says that... I guess, but she says that Nathan visited her at hotels about five or six times, but claims she doesn't remember anything. She's a hostile okay. witness, basically. And then when they ask her, well, did he get you presents? Did he pay for stuff for you? And she's like, I don't know what presents means. I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Because, like, they, they ask her, they full on, like, so you're proficient in written and spoken English, right? And she's like, yes. But she still right. acts, like, totally stupid, like, she doesn't speak English. It's really just, like, ridiculous. I would be so That's pissed. That's gonna be really frustrating. Something like that happened. And then there's, like, all these texts, especially the text between Nathan and Ina on the day of the murder. They give each other mutual hellos at, like, 7.30 mm-hmm. in the morning. And then by 8.37, he texts her and says he has a lot to do. And he hopes there's time to do, quote, everything. Okay. Like, implying that he's got some really crazy stuff to do. And yeah. that he hopes he has time to do it. And then by mid-afternoon, she texts him back and is like, thumbs up. And then he says... That he can't talk now. Police checked, and it looks like the house has been robbed. That was his specific text. And then hers text back that says, interesting, smiley face emoji. Oh, cute. 
It's typical yeah. response. Totally inappropriate yeah. and unexpected. And police think that she definitely has knowledge that this whole thing was going to go down. Yeah, that's what it sounds that like. Either she asked him to do it or she was down with it and was like, yeah, sure, go for it. But they know they think she has mm-hmm. some knowledge of it. They believe that she was coached as well in how to deny everything. And that basically he told her that he was her clergy and that this communication with her is private, like an attorney. So she doesn't have to say anything. I don't believe that is true except for a Catholic priest. It's not. But then I think he convinces her that right. that's what's going on. And that can, and she's not bright enough to be able to figure that well, out. Well, she, yeah, she wouldn't know American law. But like, yeah. Okay. But there's a bunch of letters between them mm-hmm. in Lithuanian, right? So, like, I think they were thinking, oh, we're going to hide this because if we just write in Lithuanian. But but she, he basically tells her, I love you because you understand me better than anybody else. And I'm a better person when I'm with you and next to you. My life has a deeper meaning and purpose because you are my world, my everything. And that will never change. And then that's what he wrote to her in a letter. And then one month before the murder, he says, I let you down. I'm sorry. I'm not going to make excuses because that would be unfair to you. You deserve someone who respects you and puts the relationship first. And from now on, I want to do everything I can to be that person. There is nothing more important to me than you and this relationship. I am so blessed to have you in my life and I know it. That's what he wrote to her and tries to say, oh, I'm just her mentor. There's nothing inappropriate going on between us. Yeah. Like, come on. Come the F no. on. Yeah. Ina, of course, tries to minimize all of this. And during this whole, like, testimony, she's looking at him and they're looking at each other and gesturing and rolling their eyes and just making, like, it just looks stupid. It's like, are you kidding me right now? They know other people they can, can everyone see Everyone can see it. It's, like, the most ridiculous thing ever. Right. And then police find, and this is a very surprising part to me, and I was just like, oh, another nail in the coffin. Police find a piece of evidence tucked into Denise's day planner, and it is a letter from her to Nathan. This is what it says. I've tried to please you for 17 years and never succeeded. I have never been good enough, never done enough. I know you want me dead. I'm not stupid. You want to humiliate me by running around with a 20-year-old. Fine. I won't grovel. If I haven't pleased you in 17 years, nothing I do now will please you. How long are you going to do this to me? Oh, yeah? Until I break? That's what you said, isn't it? Well, happy waiting. I just got chills. I was just like, oh, that's so intense. This was like a letter, handwritten letter by her tucked into her day planner. So it was like, it sounds like they had clearly had a fight about this. And he said... Like, I'm going to, I'll wait until you break or I'm trying to break you. Or he said whatever yeah. he said. And she like went off pissed and wrote this. Yeah. Like, like you don't. Like immediately yeah, after a fight. No. That's what it sounds like. It's like she probably confronted him about Whoa. him running around with this girl. And he was like, hey, it is what it is. Deal with it. And she was like, okay, <laughs> this is how you want to do. Family and Whoa. friends heard this note and were just shocked. This is like some super yeah. powerful stuff. And like, there's no way that this could be made up. Like there's nothing else. There's no other way you could take this. It's pretty yeah. clear. Yeah, that's very clear. And none of yeah. them knew anything about this because every time they asked her, she was just like, no, everything's fine. I trust him. So she was hiding mm. it clearly mm-hmm. very, very, very well. And then the defense kind of gets their opportunity to refute any of the evidence. And they're like, oh, there's no evidence of an actual affair. None of that means they had an actual affair. No one saw them having sex. So that means they didn't have an actual affair. 
I put in parentheses, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But Nathan and Ina deny everything. They say that text doesn't prove anything, that this affair idea is absurd, that the investigation was faulty, that the police only proved what they wanted to prove and zeroed in on Nathan from the start, never pursuing other leads, including that car that stopped just days before in the neighborhood, which... He said it, but like... He's the only one who saw it. Yeah, there's no license plate. There's no, like, what type yeah. of car was it? What color was it? Nothing. Just that there was a strange and random car in the neighborhood. But then they see... They point out that another neighbor had also seen a strange car that was suspicious in the neighborhood around that same time. And then the eyewitness... Remember the one that saw the guy in the black sweatshirt that picked him out of a lineup? Yeah. Her husband thought that the person they saw was a black man. Not oh. Nathan. Okay. So but I don't necessarily okay. lend that a lot of credence because we both know that eyewitness accounts can be pretty effed up sometimes, right? Yeah. Like people change their mind. People can be swayed or convinced in different ways. I just don't think that eyewitness accounts are 100% accurate on a, a good portion of cases. Right, it should which not would be... be true for both his account and her account. Right, like, that so it be... shouldn't be the sole yeah. reason why anybody is convicted, but in conjunction with a whole host of evidence that also yeah. pops up, I think it makes sense. But that the case was not hinging on that particular eyewitness, so right. don't be don't feel sorry for him. <laughs> and they also say the police never tested Nathan's hands for gunshot residue. They should have done that. This this was super flawed. The timeline's flawed. The murder happened at 12.30 p.m. According to the coroner, this is not enough time and only gives him about 15 minutes to get back to the Starbucks at 12.45. They say it's not possible for him to have done all this. There's no blood or other smears, etc. around the body and no blood was found on him. But the reporter that did this story, because I think I initially got this story off of Dateline mm -hmm. NBC. Yeah. The reporter actually drove it out and tested the timing out and said mm -hmm. it could be done. Mm -hmm. All within nine minutes and ten seconds. This allows oh. six minutes for the crime to set up and shoot the wife. Defense said it was impossible, but the reporter, like, did the whole thing. Drove the... Yeah. She drove slow. Like, she wasn't speeding. She wasn't, like, going quickly or trying to rush it. She went, like, as slow as she possibly could and found that, yes, it was. And then they also, like, point to the jailhouse snitch... And he got a deal for the testimony and they're like, there's no way that this dude would ever be dumb enough to tell this guy anything. This guy was super shady, the, the jailhouse snitch, and he wouldn't mm -hmm. confess anything to this weird guy. Why would he do that? So he just came up with the name Ina out of the blue? <laughs> I guess. The biggest thing is Ina denying the affair. She denies, 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 even though they like work on her, work on her, work on her. They just suspect that she would have said something if that was actually the case. But I think she probably didn't want to get deported. Like, wouldn't you think if you're, probably. if you're someone who's in this country on like a student visa or whatever, and your police come to you asking for the, wouldn't you think the first thing in your, I'm going to get deported. I'm going to get in trouble. Something bad's going to happen to me yeah. if I say anything. And if he told her that like their conversations were protected, who, who knows what else he told yeah. her? Yeah. He could have like, said anything. If, if yeah, if you get in trouble, they could deport you. But, like, you can't say anything. Yeah. Or they'll deport you. Who knows? Now, they say the spa visits aren't a big deal, that Nathan wasn't in the room with her before or after. He only paid and picked her up because she didn't have a license. Yeah. So I mentioned that earlier. That's kind of BS. I don't yeah. think anybody believes that. Um, there were 1,700 hours of recorded calls from jail. Gosh. 
and no evidence of an affair, they said. This was 17 months of recorded calls while he was in jail waiting on his trial. But in my opinion, I don't think that's a very good argument because, like, is he really going to be that dumb and be like, oh, I'm in jail for the murder of my wife. I'm going to go ahead and say everything I need to say on the phone and can make a full confession. Right. No, no one does that. That's not a thing. Yeah. And that's not a reason to say he didn't do it. That's not good evidence. Yeah. That's Um, not a great defense. Yeah. Well, not only that, but there's no pictures of Ina on his phone. Defense claims that this is proof there was no affair. Um, I don't think that's proof. I think that's just being smart and telling each other, hey, we don't want to give any evidence. And he probably didn't want his wife to catch him either. Right. Nathan didn't take the stand during the trial, but he did some interviews with Dateline, which is super creepy and weird. So if like you want to hear this creepy dude, like go check out the Dateline NBC episode. He says he didn't testify because they had brought too much fuel to the fire and he didn't want to give more fuel for them to like get that fire burning hotter. So he basically says if I testified, it would have hurt me. Yeah. Okay. Um, They say police never looked past him to find the real murderer. And he's like, that person's still out there. Insurance claims were filed and paid. That means I didn't do it. Um, of course you filed what? insurance claims. That doesn't mean Jack. Yeah. It's just these arguments that they're putting forward are not like arguments. They're just yeah. stupid stuff. He claims that Ina was only his um, a student he was mentoring. There was nothing inappropriate between them. He was her translator and her driver claims that he got his hair done at the same salon where he bought the massage thing and so it was common for them to be there at the same time that it was okay. convenient and common that nothing was crazy about it uh-huh seems like he has an answer for everything he is just way too charming and too well-spoken too smooth for me yeah to, to think that he's even remotely believable i'm just like eh, yeah it's too much and then the note from denise he says she never shared any of that with her parents, friends, or family. There was no restraining order, no police contact, and that it can't be real or true, this, this note. So when they, when he confront, was confronted hmm. with the note, like, why would she do that? It's just so ridiculous. Like, he seems to have a freaking... Yeah. He's all, clearly spent a lot of time in jail thinking about reasons that he can throw on the wall to try to make excuses for all this. And he says the prosecution sexed everything up to make it super salacious so that it's fit for entertaining society. Like he comes (sighs) with this real conservative, like Christian viewpoint of it and says that it's just really like everybody trying to make stuff up that isn't really there so they can entertain themselves. Yeah. It's weird how everybody thought you were having sex with her when you were having sex with her. (laughs) Yeah. Stupid. He claims he never wanted Ina. He just wanted to be with his kids and now they're going to lose two parents. That this whole case is hinged on circumstantial evidence. There's no hard proof or clear evidence that they were lovers and that this was possibly linked to a series of home invasions in North Peoria at the time. Nathan looks a little bit like the alleged ringleader of this other burglary ring that had been going on in North Peoria. Peoria. So they're thinking that there's a connection there, but it's tenuous at best. Yeah. In 90 minutes, the jury reaches a verdict. What do you think it is? I think they're going to find him guilty. <laughs> you think? <laughs> he is found I do. guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced yeah. to 80 years in prison. Wow. Yeah. Wait, is it 80 or is it 30? I think it's 80. September 10th, 2014, judge passes down the sentence and says, 
Shame on, shame on you for killing your wife in her own home. Dirty bastard. Um, evidently, he is the now judge. In says Illinois. dirty bastard. <laughs> yeah, no. He didn't oh wow. I, I mean, oh. I, extrapola- I extrapolated that. <laughs> um, he is currently serving his time in the Illinois penitentiary. Mm. Denise's parents now raise the three kids. But get this, wow. like it came out later. Because I read a bunch of articles on this case because I was looking for updates. Because he's obviously appealed this. And it said that mm-hmm. he took money from the kids' bank accounts to hire an attorney, paid for the attorney, and a coach for Ina. And told her not to talk a to coach. the police. So he got an attorney and, like, a coach for Ina to teach her how to talk to the police. He took money out of his kids' bank accounts to do that. Wow. What a stand-up guy. Oh, and then, like, he's, like, throwing a bunch of other things out there when he's talking to the reporters later. He says that he suffered from seasonal depression, was taking homeopathic medications, and this affected his relationship with his wife and kids. He had been warned by the church to stop his behavior or risk losing funds for his missionary work. And he was receiving about $2,500 every two weeks to be part of the missionary program. And they knew about this alleged inappropriate behavior between him and Ina and threatened Mm -hmm. him. You need to stop this or we're going to yank your funding. So, like, there is, like, ample, ample evidence here that inappropriate behavior was going on at the very least. Right? Yeah. And at the very most, collusion between these two individuals to plan and stage the murder of Denise. Wow. But it is my... It is my sincere belief, based on the facts that... And I read quite a few articles and things about this, that he did this. It's just... It's too cut and dry. It's too kind of skeezy. He's too, like, practiced and, like... Yeah very very well spoken about this like he's planned out every single aspect of his speech it just doesn't strike me as genuine and oh i'm so sad and so devastated to lose my rock and yeah. my soulmate and it sounds like ina also so. knew what was going on before it happened too yeah just based on those text I messages suspect, i i think he kind of kept her you know out of like the the main details but i think she knew what was going to happen that that he was going to make denise disappear so they could be together and that's the most important thing it's it's what it sounds like and it's just it's gross and and shady that she got immunity and that she is still able to stay here in the united states if she was involved with right is she still in the states do you know it sounds like it Mm -hmm. yeah slightly creepy Hmm. interesting case though right very very interesting case there's it was really sad for her kids too that they had to sit through all that three very Mm -hmm. young kids lost both of her parents and in a very tragic way so it's, it's devastating and then i guess the parents still live in that house where she was killed that's that's got to be tough. So now the kids and the parents are back there in that house where yeah. she was killed. It just sounds like an awful situation. But anyway, I mean, that was a, a long case where I think we're going to wrap it up for today. Do you have anything else you want to add? I do not. All right, dude. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay busy. Wash your hands. Don't cut your own hair. Don't cut your own hair. <laughs> Don't cut your own hair. I did have to finally <laughs> cut my nails because they were growing out of control. 
and I, I'm in bad need of a manicure, yeah. but that's not essential, so it's all right. <laughs> you can do it yourself. <laughs> no, but I have gel on my nails, fun. so and I don't want to take them off because then it's really thin and gross. So I'm just gonna wait it out. <laughs> First world problems, like a, right? Yeah. Um. Anyway. This is the point in the podcast where we say so long, farewell, please rate, review, and subscribe to our True Crime Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please shoot us an email. We're at the Podcast at gmail.com. We love getting emails from you guys. Darcy, social media? Yeah, we're at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, so you can follow there and interact with us there. Come see some pictures this week of this couple and Nathan Muthold and his polished perfection. Mm. Some pictures of Ina as well. So it should be interesting. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Bye, guys.